This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for February 1st, 2023. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry, and today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Imprez is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Imprez tailored best-in-class solutions at www.imprez.com. Our guest today is Danielle Portnick. She is Regional Business Director, International, at Ambry Genetics. Danielle will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. And to start today's conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to a new season of the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon, starting season number nine and coming to you from our historic podcast gondola, high above center ice, where you can hear the roar of the crowd in the background. So there's a 360-degree view below of all the action that's taking place. Back with us again for another season is James Shea, General Manager at the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. Jim, I see you spent the off-season doing track and pumping iron. You look like you're ready to play. Absolutely. I'll tell you, Coach wanted me faster between the Q&As and podcasting the right way getting deep into the answers and taking dead air time away. So, uh, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. All in the enunciation and returning to this grueling regimen is Mark McElwain, the pharmaceutical industry consultant and life sciences expert. Mark, doesn't Jim look like his training is really paying off? Yeah, although some things don't really come through too clearly on the podcast platform. (laughs) But I'm always willing to cheer on those making the steps back to the gym after COVID. I'll be raising a glass to all of them. Very nice. Well, I think anyone will see that we are a finely tuned, well-oiled machine. We are your podcast hosts, known as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the creative brand names were already taken, such as Pillsbury Hot Pockets and Pet Value. Guys, let's welcome the Regional Business Director International at Ambry Genetics. Hello, Danielle Portnick. Come on in and set a spell. Hi, Mitch. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? We're doing good. Well, doing good. So, Danielle, I don't imagine all of our listeners are familiar with Ambry Genetics. Tell us about your company and its current vision. Yeah, for sure. So, Ambry Genetics is a part of a a large organization called Realm Integrated Diagnostics. But ultimately, it's a genetics company that excels at really translating scientific research into something that's clinically actionable in their genetic test results. And this comes from a really deep understanding of the human genome and all of the biology behind genetic disease and what we're doing to move that into the future. So Amory really has been a leader in this space since it was founded in 1999 and has built a global reputation for best-in-class clinical interpretation of genetic variants. So the vision, if you will, in that regard makes a lot of sense in that uh, the company will not stop until human disease is understood and 
genetics being as complex as it is, that might take us some time, but we're incredibly focused and continue to collaborate across academic, corporate, pharma partners, just to find those links or those synergies, if you will, that allow us to really move that bar. Ultimately, especially in the genetics, every patient matters. So when we think about the work that we do, it really is, in many cases, getting down to that N of one. That sounds pretty fun too. It's a Jim Shea here. So you've had a successful career in pharma before moving on to a slightly different sector, I guess, into one of the emerging life sciences markets. What advice would you offer others contemplating a similar kind of career move? Oh, in short, uh, just do it. <laughs> I sound like Nike, but uh, in all seriousness, you know, the opportunity that I've had in doing a couple of different things in working with the Healthcare Business Women's Association or HBA for short, those things have become some of the most eye-opening parts of this entire experience because it really challenges your views, your ideas, the processes, the way that we think about integrating successfully in the healthcare system with both the providers and patients that we're trying to serve. So when we think about doing that in the same context, but you know, within your nine to five, thinking about where else can we go to think about how we work with healthcare a bit differently, it, it just sort of made sense to take a bit of a leap, if you will, and go outside my safe point being pharma. And so I, I mean, I provide that because for anyone thinking about this, I think the context is important on kind of taking that pause, really reflecting on the teams that you build, the stakeholders engage, the mentors you leverage, and thinking about where those critical insights come from. So anyone who is thinking about it, you know, I think about it very similar to, you know, the old adage, you never want to be the smartest person in the room. You also don't want to be in the room with everybody who thinks exactly the same way you do. So if you can go out there and get an alternative perspective that's going to really impact your ability to deliver on healthcare, just do it. Words of wisdom, just do it. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I picked up on something in your answer there, the Healthcare Business Women's Association. From what I understand, you're a co-founder and you're the Canadian chair of that organization. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, for sure. It's really my passion project and it's, it's sort of become my baby over the last couple of years. Um, the Healthcare Business Women's Association, it's a global nonprofit organization. It's been around since 1977. It's got individuals from across the entire healthcare spectrum, but it's really, really focused on thinking about how we get to a position where we have gender parity and leadership. We have equitable practices that really enable organizations to take advantage of the individuals and the women specifically within their organizations and to do that by facilitating different business connections and other opportunities that are going to facilitate that career growth. And if for us in Canada, what this is sort of translated to is an organization that's become intensely focused on breaking down some of those silos between what we do, not just in pharma, but in the private sector more broadly, and then across and breaking into the public sector as well thinking about how we can remove that ceiling. So promoting on potential as an example, and then really celebrating the organizations that mobilize for change. So we've done a lot of work to really try and build this community. And, and I use that word quite intentionally 
there's a lot of networks out there. I think we would be remiss to just fall into that. We're really trying to build a group of individuals who know each other beyond their nine to five, who understand how and when and where they can support each other to really move the bar and move things forward and ultimately give that career leap or that career push, if you will, that enables them to take on that next challenge or really excel in that next risk. That's a wow in my book. That sounds great. Thank you. <laughs> it's um, It's been, well, it was slow going. We were five women in Moxie's to kick it off in 2019. And as all startups do, right? If it's not in your basement, your garage, it's probably at Moxie's. But to go from there to a team of almost 40, we've got a Toronto chapter, our regional team for Canada, and we're launching Montreal in the new year. So it's sort of a vision coming to life. And it's taken a, a couple of years to get here, but it's pretty phenomenal to see. Sounds amazing. Great, great work. Danielle, it's Mark. Hey, Mark. You're also an SDZ mentor at Toronto Metropolitan University, which I knew as Ryerson. So SDZ stands for Science Discovery Zone. That's correct. But tell us about that role. Yeah. So the SDZ is a multidisciplinary incubator, and it's really uh, focused on fueling innovation and entrepreneurial discovery uh, for a lot of those startups that come out of the university by trying to bring together like-minded people and growing talent. So really trying to create a space for some of those really important, especially scale-up discussions to happen. So what they do is they really bring on mentors with very, very different and unique backgrounds just to be available as individuals for contact for these companies. And so when I was working in my previous role in pharma, one of the reasons I got approached for this was because a lot of students and a lot of those individuals who are trying to get involved in these things don't necessarily have great line of sight or visibility, if you will, to all the things that are happening in the industry or are even possible. And so I started building some connections with the university just to provide some level of insight for those individuals. And of course, you know, that turned into really doing more of this work and, you know, just giving feedback, a little bit of mentorship on things they might want to be considering if they're looking at doing something in life sciences, others they can reach out to and so on. And honestly, it's been a huge win-win for me, it's been great, as I said, in terms of really gaining perspective and leveraging that in the way that I think strategically and how we can move the bar in healthcare. But also for them, it's, you know, you're building that next generation of incredible leaders and organizations. So, you know, I'm finding that there's really neat opportunities, technologies, ideas that'll be coming to light over the next couple of years. And I'm just happy to be a small part of that. Well, thanks very much. Now, we're asking all of our guests as we're coming out of COVID how you have adapted to our new reality of virtual work and virtual teams. How has that affected you? Oh, well, um, I admit it took me some time. Anyone who knows me really well knows that at the very beginning of this entire thing, I often joked about befriending the pigeons on my windowsill because I really desperately needed more people to talk to. And of course, you know, we weren't on camera at that point. So it was just your voices, but you were in staring at a screen all day long. So, you know, being very, very 
energetic, being very, very extroverted. I really missed kind of having that in-person opportunity. We've now sort of reached a middle ground, if you will, where, you know, you kind of have a flexibility in, you know, kind of how you go into the virtual or how you go into the in-person and how frequently you do both, what that looks like from a balance standpoint. My new role is actually entirely remote. I'm the only one in my organization outside the U.S., so every opportunity that I have to try and engage in person, whether it's um, with Canadian or international colleagues or partners or my colleagues in the U.S., if I can get down to HQ, I really look forward to those discussions. But ultimately, I've kind of found the middle ground, if you will, between how do you do virtual really, really well and when do you absolutely need to do in person to make some of those things happen? We're chatting with... Danielle Portnick of the organization Five Women at Moxie's here on the NPC podcast. <laughs> so Danielle, segue from Mark's question. Uh, you spoke at this year's National Pharma Congress and your talk was part of a symposium on diversity, inclusiveness and equity. It sparked a lot of interest. Can you tell us a little bit about the planning behind that talk? Yeah, for sure. Generally, when I'm asked to speak on a topic where I'm given a slightly carte blanche or a sort of like a, a little bit of a white page where I can really think about what I want it to be, I spend some time really reflecting on the conversations that I've had, the, the situations I've experienced or others have shared with me. And I try and look for something that really struck me, whether it's something that you heard consistently, something that struck a nerve, something that surprised or excited me in some way. Usually there's something that you can find. And, you know, as I said, I've I considered myself privileged because I've been able to be an ear, a shoulder, a sounding board, a colleague and a cheerleader for a number of different people across, you know, challenges and wins and wishes and so on. So in sort of being in that space and space and having these conversations, um, when I started to see something like the term imposter syndrome, or I feel like I'm an imposter or some version of it keep coming up in conversations, it pushed me into this mode of curiosity, if you will, where I needed to spend more time thinking about it, researching it, you know, origins, evolution over time, how it applies or doesn't to different people and so on. And you know, next thing I know, I was down like a massive rabbit hole of papers and, you know, articles and YouTube and so on really rooted in kind of a interesting mixture between psychology and neuroscience and biology, wondering why we coined this term to begin with. And why is it or is it the root cause of so many other challenges that we see in, in the industry? So that was probably the majority of my time is trying to take that sort of thought process and journey and then turn it into something coherent and cohesive so that I could share what I was thinking with the audience in a way that would be both impactful and would really resonate and get individuals thinking. So that was probably the, the hardest part, but I knew that I had something because it made me think, it made me kind of take that same step back. And that's where I've got something that I think will get people to see perspective in a different way or see this particular thing in a different way. And so after that, putting it on slides became fairly straightforward. But just getting to that point, it was really a deep dive, if you will, into uh, what motivates us, you know, what drives us, why do we do what we do or don't. It's Jim here. I was there and it worked, that's for sure. So congrats on a great session. 
Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Is Mitch going to invite you back next year for version two of it? I don't know. We'll see. I hope so. <laughs> so I'm going to go back in history and talk about formal education here. Now you have a degree, a bachelor's degree in science and a master's in biotechnology. So how has your formal education impacted the course of your career? Oh, that's a good one. So I've, I've sort of come full circle and I'll give you the long and the short of this. So my bachelor's degree was in genetics and biotechnology. So inherently was very focused in innovative diagnostics and therapeutics, you know, what was available, what was becoming available and how that sort of continued to grow over time. And then from there, going into the biotech or master's of biotechnology program, it made sense. It was the most direct path to actually be able to work with those different products and partner with healthcare companies on their challenges, actually do an internship within the industry. It sort of was this perfect collision between an MBA and a master's of science. So, you know, you were able to be propelled into the industry, but it also created this unique foundation for offering significant value through what I sort of lovingly call business clinical integration. So sort of the ability to, to waver back and forth and understand and identify the gaps in both the science and patient management and the strategic side of things or the commercial side of things to really find outcomes, right? For a sort of win-win scenario. So, you know, I cycled through the many roles in pharma, really using that. And ultimately, the one thing that I found kept coming up was how hard it was for us to diagnose these patients, right? And, you know, you spend all of your time trying to think about how do we market our product and how do we show providers the value and how do we um, have some of these great conversations? And truly, that's what it came down to was... How do we find them, whether it was, you know, having one clinician who was really great at it and others who were a little bit less comfortable, maybe working more in the community setting or whether it was having expertise derived at certain centers, it just kept coming up over and over and over. So, of course, when the opportunity arose to kind of go back to my roots in genetics and do some work at Ambry, it made perfect sense. And now I'm really leveraging that background even more as we think about where we go forward and Honestly, it's been really timely because this is where we're going as we sort of inch towards true precision or personalized medicine. It's genomics and all the other omics that are ingrained in a lot of the pipelines that we see today and where we're going. So now it's how do we bridge those gaps even more? And again, going back to all of those stakeholder groups across pharma, trying to find the perfect synergy. Sounds like an amazing loop. Actually, it's more of a Mobius strip because you're not at the end, you're at the start again, you're going <laughs> to flip through. And I know it's tough on a podcast, but I mean, your passion's coming through pretty loud and clear. So when did your passion for science and technology begin? Oh, really early. I want to say in elementary school, you know, even when you're learning about the basics and you're doing your mini projects and your teacher does something really cool with magnesium. <laughs> Burns it. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> Everybody remembers that, but it's, it's that sort of magical moment where you go, wow, there's something in this. So I continued to, to focus on that. I'll say science didn't always love me. <laughs> chemistry, especially uh, I remember. Oh, organic chemistry. Ouch. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I, uh, I, I was not a fan of it. It 
was not a fan of me. I remember applying to undergrad thinking, hallelujah, I'll never have to do this again. And then I did. I found that I had two more years of it. So didn't love that. But uh, thankfully, biology and physiology saved me. So I've uh, thrived on those ever since. (laughs) Did you ever buy the Leninger textbook in biochemistry or good enough in genetics? I mean, they weighed 400 pounds each and were a thousand pages and they were out of date as you paid the bill. It was one of those crazy things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or you, you had the, I don't even remember, 15th or 16th editions of everything and really nothing had changed from one year to the next. It was never a dull moment. But I had to get a locker to hold all my textbooks because I didn't stay. I went to U of T and I didn't stay downtown. I had to go back and forth and I was not lugging those things <laughs> home and back every day. That all makes sense. Danielle, it's Mark again. So we usually ask our guests how advances in technology have shaken up their businesses. But for you in a newer sector like uh, genetic testing, that's pretty much a given. So let me instead ask you about the promise of the future. If you could perhaps describe one area on the horizon where genetic testing might before long be transforming even more of the life sciences industry. Oh, that's a good one. Well, I have a very recent update that I think is going to change quite a bit. In the last month or so, one of the major sequencing suppliers or manufacturers announced a new sequencer for anyone who's familiar with Illumina. They're sort of the the major player in the market. And what this new sequencer means is we're going from a place where, you know, originally, if we think back to the human genome was $3 billion in a 13-year project. And now we're talking hundreds of dollars and, you know, a month or maybe two. So it is completely changing the way that we think about genetics. There's talk about completely getting rid of Sanger sequencing, which was the original sequencing being used and, and now starting to move that forward. So, you know, when I think about some of the work that we're doing in terms of therapeutic development, in terms of patient identification, a lot of the ultra rare, rare conditions that we still have a very challenging time diagnosing because of looking at specific genes versus looking at the entire genome, you know, I think our our diagnostic and therapeutic capabilities are just going to expand exponentially because not only are we going to be able to do it, but we're going to be able to do it at scale, you know, and more and more of these projects, especially with the advent of the cloud and, and storage capacity that that gets us, it just allows us to bring together Economies of scale from, you know, patients around the world, bringing in different ethnographic backgrounds into our data sets, which enriches them significantly and really partnering on some of this data. I've seen more and more openness in pharma to really working across the sector to bolster the size of the data sets that we have so that we can ultimately do this a bit faster. So for me, that's going to be probably the largest thing. I think that is going to start to really accelerate over the next couple of years across both clinical and development. And beyond that, going into other omics, we're already seeing the use of RNA in standard DNA testing. We already know that if you add RNA to genetic panel for cancer, you're going to pick up a patient, one in every 50, who would have been missed. 
because standard DNA alone wouldn't capture those mutations. So we're already seeing our ability to do this expand so, so incredibly fast. I'm very excited for what this means for the future of true, true precision and personalized medicine. Well, this is Jim here. I'm going to jump in right now because, gentlemen, I think we already met our requirements for the prognostication corner. And, and it's spelt with a K because we know that dogs reply uh, very well to hard consonant sounds. I don't think we have to ask uh, what's going on in the next 12 to 24 months. I think we just heard it right there. Wow. That sounds super exciting and amazing. Yeah, that's pretty hot off the press. That was uh, literally just a month ago, I think. So stay tuned. It's coming. Well, that's great. Now, as we wind down the podcast, we're going to invite you to play our word association game. So Danielle, just uh, go ahead and say the first thing that comes to mind in response to each of the following phrases or words. So are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay, good. Biotechnology. Novel. Mentorship. Empowering. Innovation. Personalized. Female empowerment. Crucial. <laughs> Healthcare marketing. A conversation. Conversational. That's very good. So, Danielle, speaking of conversation, it's been great to have you on as our first guest of the season. You've set a very high bar for everyone who's going to follow. So, thanks for kicking things off uh, so well. Well, thank you so much for having me, everyone. It's been a pleasure just sharing some of my thoughts with everyone and being a guest on here. I'm, I'm fired up. Let's go do some genomics. Let's go. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll speak to you again next week. If you've got questions for Danielle, send an email to health at chronicle.org. We invite your comments about today's conversation. Attach your question as a voice clip and become part of a future episode. If you enjoyed today's NPC podcast, please like it, rate it, recommend it, and do make a point of sharing it with your colleagues. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, or just ask your smart device to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on Audible or TuneIn Radio. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.imprez.com. This is your announcer, Leona Void, speaking. This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser, assisted by Spencer Eng. Research for this program came from Cristela Ruiz Tello. The musical theme is performed with mere obsessive devotion by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the skilled direction of Maestro Ruprecht Milbrook. We'll speak again soon.